some big news. What? What could it be? <laughs> are are you did you get a dog? No, unfortunately, no. Did you get engaged to some Hell no. person I have never met? Um no. you're pregnant? Big hell no. Then what else could it be? I got a job. Simmon Tubbin, Mazel Tub, Mazel Tub, Simmon Okay, uh, that's enough of that. For those of you who uh, who have never heard that song, uh, you're welcome for that. Uh, for those of you who did, uh, you're welcome for your flashbacks to uh, your bar and bat mitzvahs. So yeah, I got a job, which is uh, crazy. Um, so for those of you who have been listening from the very beginning, first of all, thanks. Also, you've heard the saga of me having a job for five years and then searching for new work while I had that job, but then losing that job and wishing I still had that job and then spending the past 11 months working harder to find a new job than I have ever worked at any job in my life. So I am happy to say that I will be starting as a uh, the new IT and project coordinator at Bressler Group, which is a wonderful product design company in the heart of Philadelphia. Um, and it will finally give me something to do in terms of full-time work. So I'm, I'm over the moon excited and um, somehow got close to 500 likes on Facebook that said I got a job. So I don't really know how that worked or how the algorithm worked. I didn't even know I had that many friends, but um, I definitely, I'm definitely very excited <laughs> to say that. You should least. be because the only time I've seen someone get that many likes on a post is if they were engaged. But the so, fact that like you got it on a new job, like that's pretty badass. That's I, how you know that you got some important stuff brewing and I'm quelling. Maybe that's our Yiddish word of the day. Quelling. I'm quelling. It means I'm so filled with pride and joy. So thank you. That I uh, will just leave it at that. Yeah. I, I felt really bad. Uh, a couple I know on Facebook got engaged and I checked and I was like, oh man, look, I'm sure I, cause I was starting to feel weird with all the likes. And then I checked thinking, oh yeah, they'll definitely have more than me. And they had 129 likes and I had 455. So that was uncomfortable, but I'm happy for them too. <laughs> You're popular. Yeah. The one thing I will say is this: there's a crazy thing that has been happening to me um, in the past few days. Like I haven't even started this job. I start in the middle of next week. But because of, I've been in theater for so long and working at my previous uh, place of employment, there's been a lot of people who I've been fortunate to know who are within the Broadway community, whether or not they are um, directors or playwrights or uh, designers or actors or musicians or stage managers have started to reach out to me and kind of ask me like for my secret as if I like have a like a magic wand of like employment like this was easy for me and it, it wasn't easy at all I have to say but the one thing I will say is it, it really does come down to like who you know and what you do so for mm -hmm. instance I can honestly tell you that every single person that's recently reached out to me that asked me what my superpower is is as equally proficient in non-theater work as I am and is as equally proficient if not more organized potentially than I am um, and can get the job if they have the right lingo and I'm fortunate to have friends that are able to sort of I call it my my muggle resume my muggle resume the Harry Potter reference that. meaning like my non-theatrical resume turning my theater resume into a muggle resume um, and had enough people to to check into reference for that and then also flashing it back to the episode 
with Fallon in it, where we talked about how we both had Central High School on our resume because it actually can potentially help you. Her boss went to Northeast, so like that had nothing to do with it, but still like it gets you through the door in so many places, or at the very least is a conversation starter. And one of the hiring managers for this new job I'm working at is also a Central alum. And she said, I would have thrown out your, your resume because you don't have all this background, but I saw that you went to Central and I just knew there was more to you. Um, so it just, it's really about who you know and what you, you do. And like these people are reaching out to me saying like, can you get me a job there? Can you? And I'm like, I can't get you a job anywhere. I haven't even had my first day. But, you know, I can definitely give you some insight on like, oh, if you use these mind, these words that are more creative minded and maybe transforming them into more corporate. Sure. It's just it's very bizarre to me. And the other thing I've been noticing is this stigma that comes with theater jobs and non theater jobs and also like a double standard. And what I mean by that really is. And this isn't just me. I've, I've talked to a couple professional performers recently about this, too, who have also found new full time work outside of theater. And it's across the board for all of us where suddenly some people go, oh, I guess that means you're quitting theater. And it's like, no, we're not quitting theater at all. We're, we're still theater artists at our core. That's not changing. Like none of that is, is, is changing at all. And there's this double standard because if you look into any other field, these people have hobbies. Like for instance, I have a friend who told me all the engineers at his company, they're all musicians and they all have a band and they play uh, like entrepreneurial sports on the side and they do all of these things. But you know, if they quit their band, no one's going to go up to them and be like, oh, I guess you can't be an engineer anymore. But for some reason with theater, it's like if you make any sort of non-tangential movement, against it there's this idea that like oh you're quitting for good oh i guess you're like an old person in the field i guess you can't do it anymore it's like no we're not an olympian athlete you know it's you know we're we're just learning new skills and doing new things and i don't know sam what do you have to say about this <laughs> yeah i amen to everything that you're saying there's something about the artistic sector and work where as you were saying there's this standard of like, oh, well, what's your backup plan if this doesn't mm -hmm. work also? And that whole thing about having hobbies, the seminar I went to, I forget which theater it was. I want to say the Arden or the Lantern Theater in mm -hmm. Philly. There was a panel of a few folks that spoke and the, the whole thing about I guess, how to stay sane as an artist, not even during COVID, this was pre-COVID, the whole fact of, of how every other sector of work, as you were saying, engineers, my boyfriend is an engineer and he has a million hobbies. He yeah. volunteers for different organizations. He has his sports. He's also into music and, and pretty much a lot of different things. And it enriches his life. And the thing that I've noticed about myself, and I'm sure you can attest to this, other theater artists, whether you're a performer or a producer, director, what have you, it's our hobbies, which consist of artistic things, which people that have, I, I'll, I'll call them the typical nine to five other sector jobs. Some of them have artistic hobbies. We are we also have artistic hobbies, but we are also trying to make them our profession. So we have this layer, this other, yeah, yes, this other complicated layer of it's almost as if we have to prove ourselves. I know I do that a lot. Like if I don't get enough paid work, I question myself, can I even call myself 
a professional performer or an mm-hmm. artist. I mean, half the time I wear a wig and I call myself a middle-aged woman named Phyllis. Like I'm not getting paid for that, but as an artist, like that's just what I do. And I even had a, I'm not going to call out this person in particular, but let's just say I had a boss, a very good, well-meaning person who said some, we were just talking about my artistic endeavors. And she has made a few comments in the past about saying, oh yeah, you know what, you're young and this is the time to try all these things out. But then, you know, a lot of people, once they get to like 35 or whatever, they, you know, if it doesn't work out, then they just kind of, you know, find something else. And it makes me kind of angry to hear that because no, I, I've never heard of anyone just, just stopping just because they reach a certain age and they don't get a certain milestone. There are plenty of movies, shows, and other forms of arts that where there's a need for middle-aged people, people that are 35, not even old people that are like way older than that. There's still a need. Look at the freaking golden girls, (laughs) all of those beautifully talented, hilarious women. They Did they just say, oh, you know what? I didn't get a big fancy show when I was 30. I should just quit. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? You should probably focus on like, you know, getting married, having a family and like finding like, you know, a real job Mm -hmm. that I hate. I hate that saying so much. That's why you guys can't see it. I did air quotes. What, what is even a real job anyway? Um, so I, yes, I have a lot of, I have a lot of feelings. So, so do I. That's honestly, that's why I just kept talking in the beginning. I was like, please shut me up because I, I, I get very emotional about this too, especially because I was talking to a, um, a friend of ours who I believe is also a listener and she works in nonprofit work um, and not always nonprofit arts, but nonprofit work. And there's this whole other, you know, layer of that double standard and that stigma between just arts versus non-arts, but also like the nonprofit world versus the for-profit world. And the idea mm-hmm. that like for-profit means it's a real job. Again, I'm doing air quotes myself um, versus nonprofit is like, oh, you do it because you want to help people. And it's like, yes, there is, you know, I I worked at a nonprofit theater for five years. I would not have done that had I despised theater. You know, I believed in the mission and I believed that I was there for a good reason. And at a certain point, especially now because of COVID, you have to survive. We're all just doing what it takes to survive. And, you know, if we find a little bit of joy and a little bit of pleasure in that, like who the hell cares? And, you know, like I think we were talking earlier, like we're almost jealous of the people who do community theater for free, who just kind of (laughs) can just do this. Yeah, I, I've recently, that feeling's been bubbling up, especially since I feel like if I were to make a graph of the paid work I get versus non-paid work, I, I'll be honest, I feel like it's skewed towards non-paid work and, and, and I kind of get introspective and I look at myself and I ask, am I any less of an artist because and I'll complain to Lonnie all the time. It's kind of nice having a partner who was not involved at all in the arts. So mm-hmm. he can just be a sounding board and just oh, offer yeah. his own. He's an engineer. So he's very practical and he has other life experiences. And he's like, well, Sam, this is who you are. And Amy, you've been saying this the whole time. Like, just because you and I have day jobs, nine to five, you're going to embark on a new one. Just because we do that, it doesn't mean we're not like giving up and we're not artists. If anything, I'm having an in, a steady income. And a lot of, for most of us, the arts 
even pre-COVID don't offer all the time a steady enough income, we kind of need something else. And to, you know, minimize our stresses, we need that survival job. We need that day job so we can be better artists. So we can just give our, it, it just helps having something consistent. Yeah. And I'm fortunate to at least, you know, the job that I'm going into, it's at a very nice company. I'm not coming from a, a design background. Um, and it is within the design world, but people even outside of Philly have told me like, oh my goodness, you're so lucky to be working there. It's so fantastic, the work they do and how they treat their employees. It's like, it's well known how well they treat their employees. And like, these are things that I didn't know at first, but learning more and more about the company as I was interviewing, yeah, I, I learned to, you know, kind of fall in love with them. And I can see myself working there for a very long period of time. Like I, who knows, COVID changed my life. And so maybe something else will too, but I can, from this point forward, I see myself working there and I see myself growing there. And, you know, if anything, like you said, I, I have more time to be a creative person. Like I said to my voice teacher, I have this full-time job now. And she was thrilled because I was no longer working at a theater, which prohibited me from seeing theater and from being in theater. Which is um, ironic, very yeah. ironic that you so say that. <laughs> it's, you know, that's just to show you the state of the world. Yeah. And, um, uh, tracking back to the the community theater thing and how and you and I both know we've met a lot of folks of all ages and of all different professions I've done community theater with a, a lot of lawyers have a theater background yeah. and um even a couple doctors and it's fascinating to meet all these people and and how we all have this common thing but I I can't help but be just a little jealous and salty of like oh it's I'm trying to make this my life my life's work and my profession and trying to hoping that I use this as a stepping stone to get that professional title and that professional performer accolade. But, and then here are these people that just happen to be talented and passionate in their own right in acting and designing, directing. Yeah. And I just, I guess I'm a little jealous of people that, that just see it as a hobby because there's no added pressure. This adds joy to their life and makes them more well-rounded people uh, they don't want to just live in their offices all day yeah. and so I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I need to go find some hobbies and what a better <laughs> time to do that than during a pandemic where we're doing a lot of introspection exactly it's like where we need a hobby I mean I'm, I'm I'm fortunate right now where I'm doing so many little things where I'm like oh my goodness, great. Now that I have work, I can pick which ones are hobbies and which ones are jobs, you know? So yeah. it's it's interesting, but I'm not there yet. I will say though, that there is this, this movement that's been sort of like the underbelly rippling for a very long time now that sort of is coming to the surface within, definitely within the Philadelphia artist community, but sort of, I mean, really all over. Um, and some of it I think was sparked because of Black Lives Matter, which is fantastic that finally it's coming to light, but it is about all artists, not just performers, not just painters, you know, all types of artists. There's two frames of thought. One is that artists have never really been paid to perform for various things. That's just the way it's been. Um, and no one ever fought it before. And you know, why are suddenly people fighting for it now? And like, they're in the mindset of like, oh, this is the way it's been, therefore this is the way it should be versus right now what's happening is it's realizing, oh, well, let me see. All of these stage managers are getting paid. All of the directors are getting paid. The designers are getting paid, the playwrights, you know, the uh, everyone else who works in the theater. But the performers aren't 
getting paid. And now that so many of those jobs are shut down, it's like, well, what is theater? It's so performers based. And, you know, that's time and that's value. And it's not just like this, this free gift that we're throwing around at everybody. I'm like imagining like this, like slutty person just like <laughs> throwing themselves at men, like for free, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that it's, it's, you know, the deserving to be paid. And it's like, where do you, where do you draw the line of like, this mm-hmm. is what we deserve as artists because we do this for a full-time job versus regardless of if it's a full-time job or not, we still deserve some type of compensation. It doesn't necessarily mean money, but it's something. Yeah, I hear you. And and, and that's where I've been thinking about the whole like community theater scene, which I still hold very near and dear to my heart. And the thing with the setup for something like that, like they, it's, you know, the whole thing of community theater. It's like, okay, we all are under the impression and we, we have an understanding that like, we're doing this for the community and to enrich ourselves and other people. And this isn't like a for profit for us opportunity. Of course, the theaters are trying to make money. There have been other things, not community theater based where, yeah, I kind of wish that they offered some compensation to their actors. And I think most people feel guilty about it because some of these directors and playwrights were, were or are still actors themselves. And I think that a lot of people wish that they could do that but the budget is so stretched thin and I listen I'm no finance person I know very basic stuff but I I don't even know how theaters work out budgets or even just small independent self-produced people like where where are they getting this pool of money to distribute and and where do the performers where there'd be no show with out them. Yeah. I, I think it's a very interesting movement that's happening. And I didn't really know about that until you mentioned it, Amy. And um, I'm glad that the theater Philadelphia group is starting to make some waves. I mean, it, at the very least, people are talking about it. Um, my fear is that they're going to turn into more arguments than discussion. So at the, at the moment, I want to say at least regarding there are many arguments happening within that community, but um, at least regarding the paying artists at least something that they deserve is definitely something that's being discussed amongst i know of several groups which is which is exciting but you know let's let's find a hobby (laughs) millennials are obsessed with with side hustles as we are but you know speaking of side hustles have you ever been told that you are in terms of a side hustle or something that you did have you ever been ever been told that you are good at something i mean performance based yeah, there's um this one random moment that keeps popping up to me. I did, it was one of my, the productions I did of the vagina monologues, because <laughs> if you're a female at theater school, you're, you most likely have been in a production of the vagina monologues. So and, yeah. really sad story. <laughs> I was not in a production of the vagina monologues. And I felt like that was wrong of me because it was the <laughs> assumption that everyone was. So I would just like, I lied to so many people and it's not on my resume, but like when asked, um, not by an auditioning person, but like in general amongst friends, someone would ask me, Am I, have I ever been in the vagina monologues? And I would be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, it's so generic enough that I was able to like make up a monologue, you know, explanation, be like this one. And they would be like, oh my God, that's my favorite one. And I would just go, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that, that's really funny. Um, but yeah, and um, just to go off of that every year. So I did it for three years, actually, my sophomore through senior year. And I always did the same monologue. And once I explain why, 
you'll know why they gave it to me because hashtag typecast. So it was the one called the flood. There's an old ass woman that's talking about her. She's like down there. I haven't been down there since 1953. Oh, yes. so she talked about this dream she had about like being in a flood. I'm not going to go into details. Just I'm sure there's a YouTube somewhere of someone doing this monologue. So I played this old person. It was a very, it was a comedic monologue for sure. And a lot of the other monologues, some of like some of them are comedic, but some of them are more dramatic and intense and say uh, the C word, the see you next Tuesday word. I'm not going to come out and say it right now, but it's, there's just a lot of like in your face stuff. And so the point of my story is after one of the productions, this person who I barely knew said, Sam, you were really great in that monologue. I really hope you're going to continue performing and doing this as a profession. You are right. And I said, yeah, that's the hope. And she said, good. I I really think that you have something and I really want you to continue. And this person was not in theater and just like, you know, stuff like that, you know, it just, it makes you feel seen. Because a lot of us theater people, we're just trying to scrape by. We're just trying to get a darn tootin' roll. And a lot of times there isn't time for compliments. And sometimes people, sometimes you feel like you're not seen or you're just in the ensemble. But then when someone does point out something, it's like, yes. So anyway, that's my story. And so back to your question, Amy, has anyone ever said that uh, that you were good at something? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because um, I had a similar situation to, to that where it's like almost like, wow, it's almost not not like I wish you would have said this sooner, but like kind of, yeah. Like I wish that I had, you know, been told that I was good at this thing before I did the thing, not like after I did the thing. Two contrasting examples. One was when I was transferring from one college to another college. There were these things called juries that if you're not uh, familiar juries. Um, It's a process that occurs within the theater world and the music world in college and universities, at least in America, where it's kind of like they judge you and they decide if you're good enough to continue within this major. Like, do you have potential? Mm. And so whenever I auditioned for plays at my first school, I didn't get in any. And um, I didn't get into any musicals, no callbacks, nothing. And then I was told, you don't have to do your jury. And I talked to my teacher, who is still my voice teacher to this day. And she said, you know what? Show them. I want you to show them. And I did. I, I had my jury. Technically, I wasted precious time of other people. But I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And my voice teacher specifically didn't tell them that I was transferring yet. And she goes, okay, now Amy's going to go. And I go and the people on the jury panel who were half from one university, half from another that they were combined with said to me, huh, where have you been? You should have definitely auditioned for this. You would have been perfect for this show and this show and this show. And my response was, I, I, I did audition. You didn't cast me. Wow. Um, and, you know, and also, peace out, bitches, I'm leaving. I'm transferring to Temple um, sort of thing. Like they were all good people, but like it's just they didn't see my value until I was leaving. And so that's sort of the mentality that I have with everything I do, which is like, oh, someone will appreciate it one day. But a fascinating thing happened where I was talking with a friend of mine the other day. And this is a friend who I hold what he says to me very near and dear to my heart. Um, And everything he says really, it means a lot to me, but he's never said something like this. And no one I don't think ever has. Um, I recently had just produced Chickadee Theater Company's Cozy Cabaret. Um, which I talked about in the last episode. And I was telling him all these things I was doing and all these great ideas. 
And he just stops me and he goes, well, of course you should continue to produce. You're so good at it. And I literally, I started crying because, and he was very confused. He was like, oh God, what did I say? Like over Zoom. And I was like, (laughs) no one's ever told me I was good at something in the moment. Like I tell people I'm producing. I tell people I teach improv. I tell people I'm starting a new job. And their response is, wow, you're so busy. Wow, you've been so busy during quarantine. Or like, wow, you've been so busy your whole life. Or wow, you're nonstop. You, you, you do so much. But no one's ever said I do things well. <laughs> and he, he told me like, Amy, you should continue being a producer because you're, you're good at it. And it just really took me back. And it just shows, you know, don't be a bitch all the time. Compliment people is, uh, is important. However, I don't believe he's actually seen any of my, uh, my Zoom things, which is a fun, fun fact. Let's, let's talk about flaky Zoom audience first. Oh, boy. <laughs> How do I, I, again, I want to say these things without throwing people under the bus. As the We drank words. wine. We drank wine, everybody. Yes. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, I mean, we'll talk about it later. I am yeah. drinking rosé right now. But um, yeah, uh, I'll tell you the title of the rosé I'm drinking later. That's my cliffhanger I'm giving you. So you guys listen to the entirety of this episode and not be flaky. Okay, Ooh. so back to, I don't know why I did that riff. I guess it's the rosé. Anyway, Zoom theater, Zoom life in general has not changed much. What do I mean by that? People who are flaky before are flaky now, even though everything is on your computer. And you know what? I've been guilty of this too. So I'm going to throw myself under that septa bus. So Amy, I, I might've mentioned this to you before. I was recently in a Zoom production of Sense and Sensibility with a theater company I've never worked with before. So shout out to the Forge Theater based yeah. in Phoenixville. So side note, if it weren't, if this production were not virtual, I don't think I would have auditioned. I do not have a car. I live in the city. Don't think I could have schlepped the, to Phoenixville at all. I don't know if there's a train station. So that's end side note. And um. To make a long story short, I love these people. I love the production that I was in of Sense and Sensibility. And one of the cast members, uh, he's a middle-aged male gentleman. He said, guys, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't know if you guys have friends that are interested in your theater life and your performing life. And they say, oh, man, uh, let me know when you're in something. I'm definitely going to come see it. And then they never do. And I raised my hand and I'm like, dude, I feel you. And I still love these friends, but I have a good chunk of friends that have not seen me do anything either post high school or post college. And I've done a lot of shit since then. Amy, I'm sure you can attest to this. And again, I'm just saying, I love these people. They still haven't seen me in anything. And I know that let's just be real. We're all like thinking of our own selves and our own lives and we have different priorities, but I've told a lot of these people, Hey, this is what I'm doing. I know you said you wanted to see it, please. Oh, let me know when your thing is, I'm going to come see it. And then they don't. Now we're in the zoom world. And I know for a fact, I mean, a, a friend of mine did flat out admit to me. And again, really care about this person admitted saying, Sam, I'm so sorry. I did get tickets for your show. I supported the company, but I didn't have time to see it. And I'm like, okay, I hear you. And this happened a couple times. 
with different people. And I, I honestly, I learned to not take things personally. I know it's not an attack on me, but it is interesting how even though everything you would say is convenient and online and virtual, you don't have to travel anywhere. The weather isn't going to stop you. The cold never bothered you anyway. <laughs> um, but the fact that people <laughs> are still, they still don't do shizzle that they pay for (laughs) like all right and still keeping your money thanks for your support but I the reason why we perform is so we can like show off to people how good we are and I want attention (laughs) (laughs) somebody just give Sam attention Sam needs two things right now she needs attention more wine and also a train to Phoenixville if there's even a station nearby I haven't done that research yet but yeah let's be freaking real actors want attention I wouldn't say I'm a total hoe about it, but sometimes I am. I'm going to end my spiel there. Amy, what do you have to say about the flakiness of this quote unquote convenient new normal world we are in? Yeah, honestly, I mean, you kind of said it all. I just, I can reiterate the fact that like, I've also experienced it both as the performer and the attendee. Um, and the patron and audience member, whatever you call it, while it's a Zoom audience. I've definitely, you know, and to be honest, Sam, there was that show that you were in that my parents watched the whole thing and I watched half. And, you know, like I would never do that in person. Um, but then, you know, I'll let other... you do that in person. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> like, and your other your other performances I've, I've watched throughout. But like, yeah, there was that one where I just was like, okay, I'm good. I watched half. And, you know, that's, that's rude of me. Um, but also, you know, as someone who has been performing in countless improv shows throughout the pandemic, I have I have two friends who are, you know, they consistently come to all of them unless something comes up and they don't have to. And I don't ask them to. They just do it out of the goodness of their heart. And then there's all these other people who say that they're coming and they don't. And I think that's just, you know, a sign of the times, a sign of Zoom fatigue, whatever you want to call it really have to say about that yeah the zoom fatigue is real and um i know that you were mentioning this before about uh the improv classes that you were teaching and how it's kind of like pulling teeth to get people to sign up and join because in any other moment a a lot of people are interested in taking classes whether it's an improv class or just another special interest just just to enrich their lives Mm -hmm. and i think that the convenience has also made us a little I don't know if I want to say lazy, but I think the Zoom fatigue is more on the nose. It's definitely um, feeling like you live right across the street from your job and you're going to be the last one in. Yes, I would say that's pretty like, you know, you can compare those situations. Yeah. And I think when something is at your fingertips, literally, and it's easy, it's almost like you can take it for granted because it's like, oh, I only wasted $5. Oh, I only wasted $10. But um, there was a time many moons ago where I was late for an opera. It might have been um, a college production of like a, of an opera or a show. They don't let your ass in until intermission no. if you're lucky. I so, worked front of house. You No, you're not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just not how the, and I think that we still need to instill those manners even. And I think those at the, the etiquette of going to the theater of seeing a show has been lost a lot. A lot of things yeah. have been lost this past year, to be quite honest. But I, I just hope that eventually things will, you know, be live again. And I just hope that people, 
I think people will be more willing to pencil it in their schedule and not be distracted when they know that they've paid a significant amount of money for something and that they have to travel somewhere and kind of organize their whole evening around it, be it a class, an improv class or a show at the Walnut street theater. Yeah. Uh, If, if you pay for something and it's in person, I really think that things being virtual, uh, I know another comp, another theater company that's been having trouble recruiting parents or their, their children to sign up for theater classes. Mm-hmm. It's just where, you know, kids are virtually learning. Everything's virtual. We're tired. We're over it. And so I think, yeah, that's just yeah. a long story of me saying, yeah, Zoom fatigue is real. <laughs> exactly. So I think we're at that point in the podcast now where we can learn the the name of the drink that you're drinking. Oh, yes. I will post a picture of it on the Instagram, which if you guys aren't following our Instagram, you probably should because we post some good content and we post pictures of the things that we are speaking of. For instance, drum roll, please. There's a drum roll in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Amy. Um, add that in post-production. Um, so yes, the sparkling rosé that I am drinking, it is called Bitch. Let's see if I missed anything. I kid you not. It's called Bitch because um, that's just kind of how I'm feeling. I'm feeling sassy today. I don't know if it's that time in my cycle. I do. I, I don't think it's a bunch of hooey. I think where you, a woman, where you are in your cycle, I'm sorry if it's TMI. I just, I don't care. I'm, I'm this is the tea. I'm spilling the tea or shall I say I'm spilling the wine, but if I spilled the holy water, that'd be bad. So this is called, it's called bitch bubbly. And it, you know what? It's pretty good. Yes. I did buy it just for the um, art and the bottle and the title, but it, I have to say shout out to that winery, wherever the hell you're located. It is very good. It says it's from Spain. I don't know if that's completely true. You don't believe that. (laughs) Oh, never. It's imported from Spain and then produced in Napa, California. That makes more sense. Oh yeah. Thank you West Coast for providing my vice of yeah. bitch wine. I mean, wine is a great thing for, you know, Valentine's Day. So how was your Valentine's Day? It was nice. It was very low key and I might have touched on this in the previous episode. I Lonnie and I don't go like too crazy about it. Um we actually did a belated Valentine's Day dinner. There's a some um, really good place in the city that we like. It's a seafood place. It's called Devon and it's in mm-hmm. House. I think it's a chain. There are a few other locations. And um, if you sign up f- uh, around your birthday, you get this deal where if you buy one entree, you get the second one, not totally free. It's like you get up to $25 off, which is a significant chunk of change. Nice. And we really like the food. And so like, that's just, so that Monday, the 15th, we, um, we went and it was, it was cute. And we exchanged chocolates. Um, he got me a cute pair of earrings. I'm wearing them now and we give each other cards, but, um, we show our love and appreciation every day. Make every day Valentine's day. Hire Sam. Yeah, that's it. Hire (laughs) Sam for your, uh, for all of your future voiceover work for (laughs) jewelry commercials. Honestly, Valentine's day, Amy, I am dying to know. I think you should just submit that for, you know, any voiceover work, just like you just said. Um, Breathy voice. <laughs> yes. My Valentine's Day. So I am the single friend, which I am totally fine with. And I mean that. But like also, um, I will say there is something, you know, 
special about telling your undying love for somebody on on a day that's just about love you know like i am i am a sap but i'm also a realist it's a weird weird place to be especially at 29. however i i do have a friend who um i have known since seventh grade and this crazy amazing magical thing happened in eighth grade where i fell in love with him yes in love totally uncontrollably in love with him and then by ninth grade i was obsessed because that's what you do when you're in eighth and ninth grade love becomes mm -hmm. obsession and something to know about me is i keep all my old diaries why because i hate myself apparently um but <laughs> but um like if they if i burned them i i wouldn't have them to look back on and i'd probably be a happier human but um i was talking to this friend i think i started talking to him at 10 p.m the night the night leading up to valentine's day and then we stopped talking at around 2.40 in the morning. We just like endless conversation. We, we brought up the fact that like somewhere around 1 a.m. We were like, oh my God, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, happy, happy Valentine's Day, I guess. You know, we're not into each other that way. But like, you know, you're my friend. Happy Valentine's Day. You know, like you were when you were little kids and you gave Valentine's to everybody. And we started talking about like how no one's ever confessed their undying love to him on Valentine's Day. So... I have this smirk on my face and something to know about me is once it gets past 2 a.m., the loopiness level kicks in full gear 100% and I have no filter. So I'm like, you know what? It's 2 a.m. It's 2.30 a.m. on Valentine's Day. What a great opportunity to confess my undying love for him from 15 years ago. So I go, hold mm -hmm. up. And we're on video chat and I like go down into um, the bottom drawer in one of my cabinets and I'm like, I swear this is gone. I probably threw it out. And no, it was there as little notepad. And I wrote things like, I also need to know, uh, I was obsessed with Twilight back in the day, not the movie, but the book, like when it first came mm. out. Um, and like a Twilight hipster. And I, like, comparing it to like Bella and Edward in, in Twilight. And I was like, his hand was cold like Edward's and he touched my hand and it was beautiful. And like, I just, I think maybe he knows, but maybe he doesn't. Oh, but if he does, I wonder if he loves me too. Like I was so dramatic, learned oh out later that he didn't even have an interest in anybody until like 11th grade, like the hormones hadn't kicked in until like late bloomer over there. And, and so like, here I was writing these undying love things to him, also writing what I thought were love letters to him in eighth grade, which he didn't realize were love letters. And we're finally having this conversation for the first time at 29 years old. And I wrote this in 2006 and it was 20, it's 2021 now. Um, and we, you know, we just like laughed about it because it, it was so sweet. Here we are, you know, having these, this hours and hours long conversation ending with like, I know we're platonic right now, but like there, now you can say someone confessed their undying love for you on Valentine's Day. Oh, I love that story. Yeah, told you I'm a sap. <laughs> oh my God, you you always have such fascinating stories. And that, I yeah, I don't even know what else to say. That you just, you always have like such interesting conversations with people and you have such fascinating like friends. And it wasn't I feel romantic. Like... It was just like this sappy story that occurred. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, anything that happens after 2 a.m. as you say, I mean... <laughs> Oh, filter's gone. Yep. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of filters uh, being gone and circling back to, well, the fact that we had some tipples of wine. 
I would like to bring up in the segment of our episode of a Jewish holiday that is starting next Thursday evening. It is called Purim, Purim, however you want to say it. Roll those R's. And um, well, I guess, how do I go about this? Give you the spark note synopsis of what this holiday is about. Okay, let me do this. There's a story. It is called the scroll, the book of Esther. So who is Esther? I will get there. So there was this king. I want to say the pronunciation is King Ahasuerus. It's in modern day Persia in the capital city of Shushan. Say that a few times fast. Shushan, Shushan, Shushan. Anyway, so this king, he was having this big party that apparently lasted like over a hundred days or some crap like that. And he, his queen at the time, her name was Vashti. Now there might be different um, versions depending on the age group you're teaching the story to. So she was told after uh, some wine and merriment with the king and his people, he said, oh, bring in my wife. I want to see her. Now, someone might have said previously like uh, that he wanted her to just pretty much showcase his, her beauty, parade her beauty around to all the to the king and all the king's men. And she's like, nah, uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to parade myself. You probably want me to be naked in front of you and all your drunk ass friends. This queen Vashti over here is not going to do that. So King Ahasuerus got very, very mad at that. Like, oh, how dare you disrupt the patriarchy? This is what I tell you to do. You're my, you're my woman and you listen to me. (laughs) So because she did not want to parade her beauty in front of him and his drunk ass friends, the, her husband had her executed. So the king got lonely after that, obviously. Oh, I, I need a new wife now. So we held a beauty pageant to find his next wife. I guess it's very similar to The Bachelor without all the... Actually, it might be more akin to Cinderella and like everyone trying to fight for like, oh, Ooh. that shoe fits me. So yeah. this queen, queen, well, not a queen yet. Her name is Esther. And she is a Jew living with her cousin Mordechai, this like old dude with the beard, I guess. At least that's how he's portrayed because every old Jewish guy apparently has a beard. Um, <laughs> C notes, Reb Tevya and Fiddler on the Roof. Anyway, so Esther is like, oh, I don't know if I really want to go to this um, beauty pageant thing. I don't really give a crap about being the king's wife and I'm a Jew and there's anti-Semitism, which I will get to shortly. And uh, Mordechai is like, no, this might be a good opportunity for you. And they're pretty much forcing all the women to attend anyway. So you've got no say. So Esther doesn't put any effort into her appearance. She's like, this is what you get, bitch. I mean, King. And so she shows up. The King apparently loves Esther, even uh, out of all those other women that showed up in Shushan, Persia, they got all the pits, which means they got all dolled up and fancy with their makeup and their jewels and what have you to impress the King. Lo and behold, the King wanted little old modest orphan girl, Esther, who was plain in a sense, but had natural beauty. And I guess he saw it, but Esther was like, I probably shouldn't tell him that I'm a Jew because his prime minister named Haman or Haman, 
uh, English tr- uh, pronunciation, was evil and wanted all the Jews to to die. Um, and uh, fast forward, I I feel like I'm muddying up a lot of the details, but how? I mean, we don't have all day here, people. <laughs> so there was a lottery, and apparently it was a lottery like whatever number gets called like that's the jewish person that's going to get killed according to Haman. but esther who was a badass and you using her power and privilege now as queen is like i'm gonna find a way to save all my people and i'm gonna tell the king wait i'm a jew and your prime minister wants to kill everyone of my people but i thought you loved me so save me and my people and oh my God, I'm probably butchering the story. I should have <laughs> done my research. But long story short, the Jews were saved. Haman's the one that gets hanged on the gallows that he built to annihilate the Jewish people. So sucks to suck, Haman. That's what happens when karma, you know, what goes around comes around. And um, it's another one of those holidays where, you know, they try to kill us. We won. Let's eat. Or in this holiday, let's get freaking drunk. And it is said that even rabbis will tell you this. I kid you not. I've gone to Purim events with um, some Hasidic rabbis Mm -hmm. and and their wives. And I've asked them, you want to get to the point of drunkenness or merriment so that I want to say that you confuse who the King Ahasuerus is and who Haman is and the story or something like that. Pretty much, pretty much you got to get a little loopy. And it's considered, you know, it's a mitzvah to get a little merry. We've gone through enough as people, like throw us a damn bone. (laughs) So that's the story in a nutshell. Um, Take it for what you will. You can go on Wikipedia and fact check me and be like, Sam, this is where you were wrong. You can write us a letter afterwards. That was beautiful. That was, everyone needs to just do a slow clap at home or wherever you are. Your car, obviously keep your hands on the road. But as long as you're not driving, just slow clap for Sam right now, because that was that was fantastic. I just was in awe. Taking Uh, a bow. You can't see it. But um, so, yeah, so that's the story. So I guess the next part of this holiday where you get drunk and you dress up as it's like what, like Jewish Halloween and Mardi Gras combined? Yeah, it's like you combine Halloween and Mardi Gras, but you make it Jewish. And it's that's you get Purim. Like literally there's a whole celebration in Purim where people have what's called groggers, which are just like noisemakers. Um, yes. Like you can think of like maracas. And whenever Haman's name is is um, said, you have to shake the shake the grogger, like the maraca mm-hmm. type thing, um, which is, you know, it, it's kind of awkward. And I've never done it drunk, but I imagine, you know, you get into it when you're, when you're drunk. I've also gone to some uh, Purim things with some Hasidic rabbis and, and their wives. And they were like, no, Amy, drink. We want you to, to get drunk. And I'm like, listen, I have already kissed half the men in this room. I don't need to drink and make more mistakes here. Um, you know, <laughs> that's it's not the goal I have. I get that it's the goal for you, but not the goal for me. And like, I'm sober. I need to make my own choices. Um, but, but yeah, there's this whole idea of like the Purim spiel which, oh, so many Yiddish words for you today. So spiel is like, a, it's like a show. Like people do yeah. a show about Purim, but a lot of times Purim spiels are not the story of Purim because that's what you have services for and stories for and like the Megillah, which is like the whole story of it. But there's also spiel, which like you can pick any show and then 
make it Purim themed. So like mm-hmm. Hamilton, my synagogue did it a couple years ago. Hamilton, but everybody had names from the story of Purim. You know, silly things like that. Yeah, it's definitely a fun time. And even though it's not like a, it's not considered one of the high holidays, but it's definitely a very fun and joyous holiday. And um, uh, besides getting a little tipsy on the alcohol, there is a signature food, at least one of them that we can talk about. And it is the humantashen. Now, I don't know if that's the plural word or if is humantash the singular word or is humantashen or is that plural? Amy, do you know this? <laughs> I, I do not. Uh, I feel like I'm that SNL character. I, I, I do not know. I, I do not know this. <laughs> I, your um, dad might know. You guys did bake them together on uh, your Phil and Amy's cooking show on Facebook. It might be a pronunciation thing. I'm not sure. Uh, it might Maybe. honestly be. German versus Yiddish versus Hebrew. Like it's a Yiddish word, but yeah. But so yeah, well, we'll get into what well, Amy, since you and your dad recently baked these, uh, would you like to fill our listeners in on what is uh what are hummantash and what is this cookie, this delicacy that us crazy people eat when we are drunk? Yeah, they're so fun. Um, so hummantashen uh are they're, they're triangle cookies. They're triangle cookies that are filled with something, usually some form of jelly. Um, so a very common one is prune. Uh, when I was a little kid, I, I made hamantashen for the first time with my dad when I was two years old. And there's pictures. I can post them later. Um, and I couldn't say prune jelly, but I could say, and wait, I'll come real close to the mic, prune deli. Oh, that's so, adorable. To this day, I call it prune deli. <laughs> and um, so that's a good one. Um, a lot of times people stuff it with cherry, jelly, jelly, cherry, yeah, filling, I can't speak, apricot filling. Uh, I got a text from my cousin who who literally just baked hummantashen with his four-year-old, my little cousin, I love her, and they made uh, Nutella, apricot, and strawberry, which I thought was cool. With my dad, I made mm. poppy seed, which is also called mun, which is one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. I made chocolate ganache, and I also made prune. So they're really, really common flavors that you have, but then you have some funky flavors like Nutella and chocolate ganache and, and some savory ones too. Yeah. Apparently someone's out there eating pizza, hamantashen. I don't know. Um, but the idea is it's, there's a lot of different reasons for it. And the main one is like, it's Heyman's hat. We're like eating his, his like hat off basically. And another is like his ear. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's delicious. I have a friend who is, uh, I think I was like the first Jewish person that she met. And so she just called every Jewish food a hamantashen and I let her do it. Cause I was like, yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I, I guess there's no, there, there was no photography back then. So we don't really know what Heyman looked like, but we can imagine him having like an evil, like mustache and crazy eyebrows. And it is said that is he had like a three corner hat, I guess something that like, I don't know, like a pirate or Christopher Columbus or someone of those back in the day people would have. And there's this song that they teach us in Hebrew school when you're a kid called my hat, it has three corners. Mm -hmm. And um, I forget the rest of the lyrics and I'll probably look it up at some point. I believe it's literally my hat. It has three corners, three corners has my hat, but then there's more, but I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think the lyrics get any more profound. So it's a good place to stop. But what's your um, favorite flavor? Oh man. Tradition. Like if we're talking about traditional flavors, I'm a poppy seed girl, which, um, 
I know is one of those things, either you love it or hate it. I recently read this BuzzFeed article where they were ranking all the Hummantaschen flavors. And I think at the bottom of the list, they had poppy seed and they said poppy seeds belong to another type of Jewish carb, the bagel. And I said, you know what? That's not entirely true. I don't know how they make the poppy seed filling, but it's like, it's like a sweet it's like a sweet consistency. I don't know. Yeah, um, it's I'm very sure like your dad can tell us uh, how it's made, but I just, I don't know, man. There's just something about that. And I mean, I guess cherry, if I'm being a basic bitch, but I have made like a Nutella one before. Cause who doesn't like Nutella? I eat that out of the jar. So I guess you could put it on a rubber hose and I'd still eat it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll just go with poppy seed. How, so how about you, Amy? What's your favorite Hamantaschen flavor? So poppy seed is also usually my favorite, um, but I, my tastes are changing somehow. I don't know. Like full disclosure, I don't have COVID. It's not like I can't taste. It's just like I used to like the super, super, super sweet things. It's kind of like how now I all the chocolate that I eat is like 70%. Um, and I, yeah. I no longer like milk chocolate is like gross to me now. So poppy seed is still, it's still one of my favorites, but I think poppy seed is now tied with anything chocolate. So like my dad and I made a chocolate ganache one and uh, chocolate ganache is good, but I am very particular um, about my hamantaschen. I feel like if you buy it in a store, they've used too much flour and it has like this Mm. dry consistency where I know we all hate this word, but it's moist. I have to say I actually love that word. I love the word moist because I like that word because it makes people uncomfortable. Perfect. So I like, I like my hamantash and like, I like my, oh, this is getting X-rated. I (laughs) like my hamantash and moist, everybody. (laughs) And yeah, when you make them homemade, because I've looked at multiple recipes and some of them are more like butter cookie consistency. And some of them are more like a cakey flowery one, like you said, and it really depends on uh, the recipe that gets passed down to you from your family or whatever you feel. It's like, you know, you can make it more of like a sugar cookie or more like a buttery uh, crispy cookie. So, um, but yeah, nothing like a nice moist, Yeah, it's robust it's a wholesome one um yeah i know and honestly i think it's if you put too much flour and it gets that cakiness and like yeah if you put just the right amount of flour it still has that nice soft touch to it and it's it's delicious Mm -hmm. so if you haven't had a hamantaschen highly recommend doing so and you know i found there's like these articles online and i want to find a better one um but there is one that i sent you um, which is like, which hamantaschen are you? Like, there's all these fun things. And I, I don't believe. Hmm? I, I said, I love these memes that you find like on Instagram about like, oh, if you like this flavor hamantaschen, you're this kind of person. Yeah, but these flavors are so bizarre. So it's poppy seed, apricot, prune. Okay. Nutella. All right. That's different. Raspberry. I don't know. I've never had that. Sprinkle, which is like, okay, sprinkles are jimmies. That's going to be a whole debate. Uh, those of you mm-hmm. from Philly, you know what I'm talking about chocolate okay um and pizza and like none of them make sense like for instance i'll just read you um this one which is apricot which is loves leftovers total yenta and return to camp to be a counselor like yeah i've done all those things but i don't think i'm an apricot one i don't know that's interesting what what do they say about the the cherry or poppy seed one so poppy seed is, has hosted Shabbat dinner in bed by 10 p.m. Will be the Abby to your Alana. 
Oh, a Broad City reference. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then there's also pizza. Begins tweets with actually. Celebrates a birthday month. Was in a Greek, Jewish Greek house. Listen, we all celebrate our birthday for a whole month. It's COVID. We've still been celebrating. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who wrote this article. I, I mean, I think you and I would write this a little differently, but I'm curious to see what's out there. And I've, yeah. I've never had a pizza flavored hamantashen. I mean, I'd be interested in making a triangular shaped pizza. That is a very different thing, but Hey, to each their own, who am I yeah. to judge? And also, um, in addition to Purim, so like the way that the Jewish calendar works is um, it goes by the lunar calendar. And the month that it is right now in the lunar calendar literally is the month to symbolize finding joy. So I think, you know, we're, we're on the uptick of the winter. The weather is gross, but I think we're, we're, you know, we're getting to that sweet spot. Absolutely. And if we didn't have crap weather, we wouldn't appreciate the sunshine and, and the brightness of you know, the other days and the other seasons. So yeah, I think that's a good, it's a good way to end a good note, a sweet note to end this evening on just finding joy, especially during the pandemic, even if it's something small, like find those little joys, those little victories. Oh, did you give yourself a spa day? Did you, uh, you know, put on like a mud mask and soak in a bath with a lush bath bomb and that's compliment, joy yeah compliment a friend do something yes. nice it'll make you feel happy too and you never know but i think this is a really sweet note to end um and those of you who do celebrate i hope you have a wonderful porim or porim as you so eloquently put it with all of the extra r's um, <laughs> and a great rest of your february shalom everyone Mwah.